From bureaucracy's basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. On this evening's meeting, university stuff, media stuff, women's stuff, and possibly more. Possibly less. We'll find out. Uh, this meeting is now in session. How's it going? Uh, you know what? I I can't really say. Um, I am I'm a cipher. I am <laughs> void of personality until you do attendance. Oh, so. right. Then then we'll know who then we we'll are. Know. Yes. Right. And whether we're here. Yes. You need that for attendance. Okay. Well, we'll start with retend with attendance. Almost a retendance. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay. So uh, let's see. Attendance. We have. Um, Duhail Pence. Yeah, sorry, Duhail no. Duhail Pence. I don't see a Duhail Pence here. You don't? No, you know. Well, well, maybe, well, Duhail Pence, he's also known as Pence Duhail. Okay. He was born Pence Duhail. He's the scion of the Duhail family. Oh, really? They made their money, I believe, selling posies in the Black Death, so it's old money. Oh, very old. Yeah. Ring Around the Rosie, that was the first ever advertising jingle. Oh. Get thyself a Duhail posy. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently so. Ward right. off the noxious air. Yeah. So. so what will he be talking about uh, today? Uh, he'll be in, I think he wants to talk about uh, how he sort of left his uh, wealthy family and uh, joined, I believe, let's see, Pineport Gardens, the long-running soap opera. Oh. He played the quote-unquote titan of Pineport. Okay. I don't know how that's going to apply to our mission statement, but uh, my, my uh, notes say here he actually uh, he died in uh, 2012. He was killed by a dart uh, tipped with the uh, deadly poison curare. That would explain why he is late. Okay. Well, actually, um, you know what makes more sense? I'm just looking at this. I think I might have mixed up the letters in his name. So yeah. Uh -huh. it's a Paul Deschen. That's me. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Good, you're here. That's a good start. And I'm happy to be here. Uh, okay, and now we have our next uh, attendee, Radon A. Gammon. Mm, no. No? Nobody's, nobody's claiming that name. Oh, okay. Um, I was hoping he'd be in, because he invented glow-in-the-dark onesies. Ooh. Yes. So he said nobody will ever have to find their child in the dark again. He believed that electricity actually could leak out of a light bulb mm -hmm. and drip down on people from above. Right. So you wouldn't so, want lights around exactly. your children. So he invented onesies that were glow in the dark. Right. It was, it was like soaked in radium. Yeah. Yeah. So, which he thought was much comparatively safer. safe. Yeah. According to my notes, he died too of, um, well, he developed multiple cancers, but apparently radiation poisoning did him in first. Oh. Sad. Yeah. So again, he's going to be late as well. It, yeah. It says here the autopsy actually revealed like curare in his system as well. Huh. But uh, I think he took it. Like, what a coincidence! It was it was like to build up an immune response. Right. So because he was paranoid about uh, not only electricity but curare poisoning. Cool. Um, you know what? You know, I, I this is kind of awkward. I think I've made a mistake. Oh no! Uh, what a way to start a meeting with two mistakes. I know. Right on a gammon. I think we're doing pretty good, actually, personally. Um, gammon. Let's. I think that should be Aiden Morgan. That's you. Okay, that's me. Okay, we're all here. Mm-hmm. We also have a guest. No kidding. Really? No, no, I'm not kidding. No? It seems odd that you would even say no kidding. Well, clearly, I'm not kidding. Yes. The guest is right here. 
Yeah. Hi. We have a, according to my notes, you are a Costamaragus. You are correct, sir. Hello. Hi, how are you? Welcome to the sub-basement. Thanks for coming. I love being in the basement. Yeah? That's where my mom used to send me when I misbehaved, living on 22 Block Lord Street. Really? Way back when. Wow. It was a, a neat basement, though. Yeah. I mean, don't, I mean, now you picture a basement as a man cave with the big screen TV. Right. and Right. This one was uh, humidity-filled, cold, uh, concrete, uh, with a washing machine with the two rollers on top. And an exposed light bulb from the ceiling with wires hanging around it. And that's where my mom would send me. I love my mom, actually. And she'd say, why don't you go down there and think about what you just did? And uh, she was never worried about my safety because I think we were kind of at some street smarts, you know. Right. I'm not saying things were better back then. I'm not one of those kind of guys. But basement, a lot of good times there as well. I used to hang out with the guys and play indoor floor hockey in the winter and so the basement is fine by me. Okay. So you'll fit right in here. <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. I fit right in, you bet. Awesome. What, what you described was a lot like the basement we're in right now. So. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, with, with a little more fungus with our basement. <laughs> and, you know, um, if my mom wasn't cleaning it so often, it would have a lot of fungus there, too. So yeah. there you go. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so you are currently mm-hmm. a spokesperson for the University of Regina. That is correct. But people who might, for whatever reason, be listening to this will remember you for uh, your time on this, uh, the CBC. That's correct. Yes, I was the uh, supper hour news anchor there for a couple of decades. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time to, yeah. uh, to hold down a media job. Uh, but uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, yeah. every, every night, uh, when I, every day when I go into work and every evening doing the news, I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was a labor of love for me. And I loved it right to the last breath when I said goodnight for the last time. I still love that job. But once I said goodnight, I just moved on. And, uh, you know, I still think about my time there, of course. And I think about where we're going with the media because that was a big part of my life. But um, still, I just felt for some reason, and I wasn't being very strategic about it. You know, it's funny. Why would you leave a job that you still like? But the only strategic part of it all that I gave it some thought was that, uh, you know, when you're in a public eye, sometimes it's good to leave when things are going relatively well, you know, and that's how I felt. Things were going well. What more could I do anyway? I, I, I did what I, I wanted to accomplish, so it was mm-hmm. just time to move on. Go out on a high note. And I just I hid uh, in my garage, not in the basement, <laughs> in Albert Park where we live. And um, after um, close to two years, I think, you know, my wife, without saying it quite like this, said, you know, our garage was a disaster when you were working full time. It's still a disaster when you got all the time on your hands. So why don't you go do something useful? And so I'm uh, grateful that the job came up at the University of Regina because I have to tell you, it's become a labor of love as well. It's a great place to work. And I'm a, having a great time. It's a great excuse not to clean the garage. Absolutely. I have a good excuse now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about all the things that are going on at the university. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, I... You left the media in like 2013. That's correct. Yes. So only like four years ago. That's right. It feels like when you turn on the television or the radio or the internet mm-hmm. that the media landscape has changed completely. Um, what, what do you see? Like, what, what do you think is for your old position as like you know a news anchor at 6 p.m. Right. on the local market? Uh, 
What do you, what do you think about that position nowadays? Well, it's it's a good question because I think there was a time and not all that long ago when the six o'clock news was was appointment viewing in a sense, right? Like you would actually structure your day around making sure you're home on time to watch the news. And, you know, some families would actually, you know, have supper and watch the news at the same time. It was a big part of their lives. And I, I meet now, well, I'm getting older, 30-something people who tell me in early 40s, I grew up, you know, watching you, probably because they were forced to watch the poor kids, me, because their <laughs> parents watched me, right? So it was the thing to do. Yeah. Secondly, that's where you had to go to get the, the day's news. I mean, unless you listen to radio news during the day, that was your only shot. And if you missed that, your next shot at it was the morning paper. So you had to wait another 12 to 14, sometimes 20 hours. So uh, it was pretty critical for a lot of people felt they had to watch that news. And But, of course, all that has changed. And I uh, And not that it took any great deep thinking on my part or any insight to figure that out. I mean, I saw it in 2013 that the supper hour news was really going down this road of becoming irrelevant on so many levels. And so uh, I guess to a certain extent, maybe subconsciously, I felt maybe it was time to move on. Why, why stick around in this medium that doesn't seem to be resonating with the community? And and I can't, uh, I just don't watch a lot of the 6 o'clock news anymore. It's rare for me. I'm not sure what your viewing habits are. Uh, let me give you an example of something that, that came up yesterday. Uh, because I heard a promo for one of the TV newscasts, and you'll know the story when you hear me say the promo. And the promo was, a former Rough Rider reveals he has is dealing with cancer. We're going to have the story and who it is coming up, right? Well, of course, this story was trending locally on Twitter by, I think, 7 a.m. Yeah. that morning or mm -hmm. something like that. I remember he seeing it online and then yeah. somebody posted something on Facebook and then on my way to work I heard something on the radio but I mean it's already not only been out there already that's one thing we were already he already gave an interview to people by noon and there was reaction from the football world the non the community people rallying around Don Narcisse that's the football player right. mm -hmm. and he revealed that he has stage one prostate cancer and he's dealing with it and he felt he had to go public for a variety of reasons I'm a cancer survivor. I've spoken publicly about it, so I understand why he would want to do that. So what is the point of that promo? What's going to make me watch that 6 o'clock news when you hear that promo? Well, there's not no reason to watch. Yeah. That's not going to take me there. So where True. do you go? You know, so you need something more. And frankly, that's, that's the $64,000 question is what do you offer people, the news consumer, to make them come at 6 or even watch a repeat of the newscast later that evening. And it's tough. It's yeah. tough. And, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't know if there is much of a... I don't know what the future is for that supper hour newscast. Yeah. And here's the crazy thing. I get more value out of the late night 11 o'clock weekend newscast on CTV because, <laughs> because you're going to get those little stories that don't even make the social media, the Twitters. It's, you know, the car accident on Louvain or this fire in some small town or some event that I wasn't paying attention to. I actually, that's my appointment viewing, oddly enough. <laughs> it's that newscast versus the big six o'clock with the dramatic music and the co-hosts and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so anyway, you know, it is what it is. Uh, ultimately, the market will decide and has decided and has moved on to other sources mm -hmm. of news. So... There you go. Mm -hmm. I think I think one thing is that you you get 
immediacy with with Twitter and social media, mm-hmm. but maybe you sacrifice a bit of reliability in in the process because sometimes you know false false information, yes. fake news can can circulate uh, really quickly, and maybe it's up to mainstream media to sort that out and and give mm-hmm. you the truth. That would be that that's my stodgy answer to the. Question. I think that's. That's a valid point. And then so you have to now gravitate to what you consider credible news sources, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, the supper hour news at 6 o'clock at CBC, and I will say CTV and Global, I would consider credible news sources with hardworking reporters who are, you know, working hard to bring the news. So if I want that, I will make an appointment to watch it. But, mm-hmm. Or I'll just wait, see where it shows up on my Facebook feed and watch the story there <laughs> instead, right? Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is that they're still, they're still producing work that's relevant. I'm just not watching it at 6 anymore, you yeah. know, and that's what all these media organizations are, are grappling with. So I don't know in five years, will there be a supper hour newscast with a supper hour anchor? I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know where that's going locally anyway. Yeah, because we don't, like so many people, they don't, when they're consuming food, they don't consume news anymore. That used to be, you know, dad, you know, <laughs> would, would sit down at the table and be like, okay, we're going to put on the, uh, we're going to put on the news, yeah. you know, over supper time. And now right. it's all like, we've got to put some garbage children's programming on Netflix on oh, God, to keep no. everybody at the table quiet. I'm that, not speaking from, sp- uh, from personal experience right, or anything. Right, right. <laughs> Well, I missed that era with my kids, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, although, come to think of it, uh, on 9-11, I was watching a children's show with my son, and I missed that whole morning. But, oh, no. uh, but, but yeah, I suppose. Uh, the, I mean, I, I don't want to hearken back to the so-called simpler times when things were better. I, I don't believe that to be the case at all, and I'm not suggesting things were better right. when I was the way we delivered the news at certain times, and that's it. And really, you only had one, maybe two shots to watch a TV news story. Unless you could figure out how to program a VCR, and if you were that into recording newscasts, yeah. you lost it. And I'm not sure I want to go back to those days either. Right? But I think one thing that we're also losing, though, is that you don't have those local personalities telling local stories in the mm-hmm. same way anymore. Yeah. There are some. Uh, I would say, for example, at CTV, Wayne Manteca is yeah. kind of has that you know, sense of yep. the community, right? Because he does yeah. call me sometimes working on a story at the university. and he, he captures, he's one of those kind of reporters that has a sense for the city. So I would agree with you that we're in danger of losing that. Yeah. But, you know, there's still opportunities out there for reporters. There's always room for a good storyteller. There's mm-hmm. always room for a good story. So, okay, so maybe it's not presented in this way that we're talking about with the classic so-and-so has this, you know, our senior reporter reports and there's the classic stand-up with the foot, the, the, the stories presented. But it's presented in a different way. But I think we as news consumers will always gravitate to what we consider to be credible news sources. And that could be a, a local reporter. The yeah. problem is, is the revenue model. Like, how do you... How do you make mm-hmm. money with these local newscasts? You can pay a decent wage to a, a good reporter who will stay, right? right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the media people are going to communications because in PR jobs, because that's where the money is. Now we're shifting the arg- the story a little bit that <laughs> way, but 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 so so you make a good point. You know, I mean, there are certain aspects of our news as news um, consuming days from the '90s or the '80s or the '60s that we may that we can say yes, it was better. And in other ways, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it's better now in other ways. Yeah. 
Well, we, we had an idea mm-hmm. to take a local affairs show and disguise yes. it as two bureaucrats working in the basement of <laughs> City Hall. But that's what we are already, so... Yeah, you know, that's, that wouldn't that's, work. It was already taken, yeah, yeah. exactly. Look, Why you got the basement audience to yourself. Well, that's you know, it's all about broadcasting to a niche market and a loyal one, and you've got it. Yeah, right. unfortunately, our niche market is a bunch of like silverfish and rats, so. <laughs> well, and some fungus growing some somewhere. Fungus. Who knows yeah. what's behind there? Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a good revenue model. Yeah, in, if you're being paid in silverfish. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we are on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We are the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and we're here with Costa Marigas from the University of Regina, mm-hmm. formerly of the CBC. Um, okay, well, you mentioned communications people. Mm-hmm. You are now one. That's of right. Those. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I hear, I, I, I've heard yeah. stories of you wandering the halls like a lost man, <laughs> yeah. searching out the stories of the University of Regina. I do and that. You know, it be. That story telling, searching for stories, it kind of becomes a part of your DNA after a while, you know, if you're if you're in the business for a while. But uh, I have to tell you, it's it's a fun job. It really yeah. is because yes, I do wander those hallways, and I aimlessly at times, perhaps. But um, I felt that for me, if you're going to represent an organization, it's all about getting to know. I mean, it's one thing to know about. It's important policies and, and 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 sometimes issues come up that you have to understand how to deal with those. But but it's still about getting to know the people because it's run by people and it's all about the people. And the only way to do that is to get out of your office, get away from the emails and the texting that has a place in communications. But it's about getting to know the people. And when I walk those hallways. Uh, I may see someone I know, maybe not that well, but enough to say hello. And on the 10th hello, after three months of passing each other, the 11th time he or she will turn around and say, by the way, I'm working on this project that you might find interesting. And this is what's happening. It's now an avalanche of story ideas that come to me every day there. I, it's hard to keep up sometimes, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, let me give an example. And uh, speaking of media, mainstream media, on the front page of the Leader Post, I think that's the hard copy still matters, in my opinion. There's a wonderful front page story about a fourth year Indigenous arts student from First Nations University who has her graduating exhibit at the Fifth Parallel Gallery, which is, of course, at the University of Regina wander through the hallways, I stick my head into that place, I look at this this artwork, and immediately it struck me, there's a journey here from this artist, there's something interesting about this person that has to be told. And I met with her, interviewed her, and the story, by some coincidence, I won't give you the, who, who sourced that to the leader post, but <laughs> I won't mention any names, but... Um, you know, and to the wisdom of the leader post reporter, she actually did a story on her. And that's how you get these hmm. kind of wonderful little stories from. And what the greatest joy of this, of this job really is finding, uh, getting to meet people who would otherwise, whose work would otherwise go unnoticed. Uh, from an obscure uh, science journal, suddenly you get a story on TV or being interviewed on CBC or whatever the case may be. To me, that brings immense joy. 
immense joy to me mm. because it gives you a sense of what that university is. There are all these diverse voices, people working on some, and they're passionate about their work. That's the beauty of it. They really care about what they're doing. And, and, and you bring that to the surface. Well, what greater joy is there when you're being in communications than doing something like that? Yeah. It's a fun job. It really is, especially working with graduate students who uh, have this great passion for what they're doing. And, and what you're getting is people, 20 and 30-something people. It sounds kind of corny, but they're <laughs> actually, they actually want to make the world a better place through the work they're doing. Well, hmm. that, that's, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. And you don't want them to do it in anonymity. And my job, I feel, is to try to find these people and let's try to give them some publicity. And they're not out publicity-seeking types, but bring them to the surface so this community knows what's going on over there. Yeah. One of the things that you've done to, uh, to get some of those stories about mm -hmm. the work that people are doing is uh, the three-minute thesis. Mm -hmm. Competition, right? Like a reality <laughs> well, that was show my you... yeah, as a reality TV show for academics. Well, <laughs> let me just say, I, the three-minute thesis is not my idea. That's trademark from Queensland University in Australia. Yeah. But when I first started at the university, someone asked me to be a judge for something called a three-minute thesis. It was the first time it was held at the U of R. Other universities have held this competition. Basically, a master's or a PhD student has three minutes, and only three minutes. You go a second over, you're disqualified to explain your research so that dummies like me can understand it. And then there are judges, and you get graded, and if you win, you get some scholarship money. So I, I showed up one sleepy Saturday morning. Actually, I was going to Las Vegas that afternoon. <laughs> I was just thinking about Vegas. It was, well, I'll help with the judging. Why not? You know, mm -hmm. as a favor to someone. Well, when I saw it, I was just blown away. And immediately I thought, this is a natural reality TV show. And so we actually put it together the first one last year last spring and we had eight finalists we put it up at the uh, shoebox theater and we had three judges we had a i had a i didn't want to host this that was another thing because this may sound like some pathetic attempt by a washed up cbc announcer to get back on the air <laughs> it was nothing like that <laughs> i insisted uh, on having a student journalism student in this case uh, host it and uh the shoebox theater was packed the show looked great. Yeah. Access Communications did it. And mm. let me tell you, I was really impressed because I was not expecting this. They showed up the day of the show to set up in the shoebox. Saw one camera, two cameras, then the third camera person comes and go, well, that's pretty good. And then we had to make way for the jib. The jib. <laughs> and I thought... My God, even at CBC, the only time they brought the jib was on a, on a, on a half-ton truck from Winnipeg for an election once every four years. This was fantastic. So we had, uh, it was beautifully photographed. I had uh, my son, who uh, works for a local marketing firm, he does videos, uh, shot some behind the scenes. So I'm planning on doing it again. Yeah, uh, that's this February, right? Well, we're still figuring out the dates, but it's looking sometime in March. Oh. I have to nail Thanks for the reminder. I've got to nail down a date. So we're, um, yeah. I, I just thought it was a great way to present research from grad students. And I think most of them had fun. It's right. pretty hard to, to do that and do it in front of a live audience with cameras mm. and lights. Yeah. So was this like a really hardcore, like, survivor type thing where people would, like, leave the show in tears and then there'd be, like, an after show where they would, like, talk about their experiences? and 
That's how I envisioned the show on paper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's... Right. It wasn't quite like that. Uh, it was... Um, they. I had some behind-the-scenes uh, shot. I had bios of each of the students. Right. Um, um, I thought of... The thing, here's the problem, that's a problem, but here's the thing is you can't have, the judges are, should, are not to know who's first, second, or third. It may influence how they grade each student. So, but I'm going to tweak it slightly uh, so that at least the people at home know who's in first, second, you know, and, and that sort of oh. thing. So there are ways to do it. Um, but, uh, but there was still enough drama there. There's yeah. no question about it. And the students performed m so well. They really did, and 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 I think it it, it hit home how how uh, people were just so um, it hit home on, on the variety of research that these young people are working on. Right. Yeah. So that'll start. Okay. So what I what I pulled off of your website yes. is that the first heats are in Feb or February 9th and fifteenth. That's not and televised. Then those guys. Yeah. The final the final six I think we're yeah. looking at will will move right. on to the to the TV show part, and then the winner from there goes to the regionals nice. and and then there's a national competition but it's never been televised before like this there are youtube productions but a tv show it's never been done with three minute thesis so that's cool uh, hmm. yeah it's fun yeah. it's fun part of the job that i get to do that's great is there anything else coming up in 2018 at the university that you're really excited or even like in the next couple of weeks well Actually, Peter Mansbridge is coming next week. I don't oh, know if really? you know. He's doing the Minifee lecture. Yeah, I saw uh, a poster about that. Yeah, yeah, so he's coming into town. Uh, President Dr. Vian Timmons is giving her, giving her state of the uh, university address over at the it's, the... it's an annual address she does at the chamber luncheon. That's coming up next week. Uh, and uh, so, so that's... I mean, there are so many things that are going... Of course, Congress... Is is the big deal, right? right. I mean, mm -hmm. Congress is coming up in uh, uh, May. May twenty sixth. We're talking about month. thousands of academics coming into the city yeah. uh, to to present the Congress of the Humanities and Social Sciences. This is Canada's largest academic gathering, and uh, upwards of seven thousand people coming to the city. It's wow. an, it's an amazing event. It happens from May twenty sixth to uh, to June the first. And uh, th there's a lot of work that's going into uh, organizing that. It's all happening on campus. Yeah. And it'll have a huge economic uh, impact on the city. I mean, it's up there with, uh, you know, the number of visitors you get for Grey Cup. I mean, this is how yeah. big this is. Yeah. Well, they were saying that this will be the, this could be, depending on how many people show right. up, the biggest conference that Regina has ever hosted. Yes, and that's not a stretch. That's yeah. true. It's, uh, we're very excited about it. And, um yeah, it'll, it'll it'll be everything you get in a Grey Cup except the beer tent, I suppose. But right. everything else will be there. So, yeah. well, but it's it's more than that. It's just it's 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 what a university does and should do, and yeah. we're we're very excited. Yeah. Hmm. What about uh, just the College Avenue campus? Yes, is being built. Is that going to be done this year? Yes, the plans. Yeah. The fact is, it had the the deal was it had to be done in order to qualify for the federal funding, right. uh, which is upwards of about thirty million dollars. So, yes, I actually it's funny you would uh, mention that because I was speaking with someone who works over the uh, conservatory where a lot of the kids have their music lessons and such, and their plan they've been told uh, around sometime in the summer they'll be moving in. Now there still that could be so somewhere. Fast. Wow. Yes, it's uh, very excited. I mean. This is, uh, I mean, this is a building I used to kind of wander aimlessly back in the 60s and get into some mischief over there. <laughs> but, but to see this thing brought back to life 
and, and, and revitalized this way is, uh, is really important for the community. I mean, this is my old neighborhood. I grew up on Lawrence Street, 22 blocks. So this is yeah. my area. So to see this brought back to life uh, is something that uh, is, is really exciting to see because it's used by thousands of people in the community every year for continuing learning and for, for classes and all sorts of things. So it's, uh, it's, it was a priority. And I commend, uh, you know, uh, Vianne Timmons for pushing for this right from when she started mm-hmm. yeah. at the university to make this a priority, and she has, and, and we're seeing something happening now. I think it's exciting for the community. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks a lot for coming in. Hey, it was yeah, great. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know if you knew this, but you were also being graded. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's fair Fair enough. Um, I, yeah. I barely got through Strathcona School, which is long gone, <laughs> and Central High School, which is also long gone. Well, so. after you left those, they just tore them They just out. tore the place it's down. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you're a, at present, you're a, an improvement vector candidate. And oh. Aiden, uh, how did you do? According to my immensely complicated rubric, mm-hmm. which you can see here, <laughs> uh, I believe you actually have passed, and you are now an official improvement vector, and you get your certificate of improvement. Well, thank Suitable you. Suitable for framing, hanging, uh, wearing like a hat, if you can manage that. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Guys, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for coming it's, in. You're so, is, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And if you have more things from the university that you uh, mm-hmm. need to get the word out about, give us a call. I will. And come on back to the sub-basement. Mm-hmm. I will do that. I'll find okay. my way up the wooden stairs in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we have wooden stairs now? Yeah. Oh, That's great. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to move right on to the pre-recorded innovative revenue tools. Okay. So here they come. Hi. I'm local blogger Kenton DeYoung. Did you know... In 1933, local businessman James Strathdee was in a motor accident which left him physically disabled and unable to carry his weight in the family company. In 1936, he was found dead on the train tracks near his work from a shotgun blast to the head. Police ruled it a suicide. Bushwalkers Brew Pub now sits in the Stuart Strathdee Campbell Building. It's a paranormal hotspot, apparently haunted by several ghosts, with lights flickering on and off, shadow people, items being thrown, and people being pushed. It's a Regina fact. You'll find more Regina facts on my blog, KentonDeYoung.com, and every week on the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 CJTR, Regina Community Radio. All right, that's it for Innovative Revenue Tools. Yeah, and, and as always, a great City of Regina fact from yes. Kenton DeYoung. Yeah. Uh, and I have a, as just as Kenton has a City of Regina fact, Every week I have a Kenton DeYoung fact. And? Local late. Sorry. Go. Uh, thank you. Um, local blogger Kenton DeYoung, although he can eat food if he wants to, he doesn't have to because he has a plutonium core that will run like for the next pro- approximately 1,500 years, give or take. No wonder he's so high energy. I know. Yeah. Exactly. He's just shedding all those like those yeah. radiation atoms. I know and, atoms. Uh, <laughs> that's how it works, right? Yes, yes. You shed radiation atoms or something like that. That's that's all about radioactivity. So that's uh, every and every week I come up with a new, uh, like even better Kenton DeYoung fact. Yeah. Like, who knows what I'll come up with next week? Yeah. We should put th- we should put them all together and see what uh, what the picture of Kenton DeYoung <laughs> looks like at the end of the year. Look at weird. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, we should not tell Kenton though. Cause, no. no. Okay. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, what's the, the next item on our agenda for tonight's meeting? Uh, I believe there's... Um, Outstanding uh, uh, improvements. There's, yes, and there's a, apparently a, a potted plant. 
No, I wrote that wrong. Sorry. Oh, okay. It's a pot plant, oh. as in marijuana. Oh, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, There's going to be a facility coming to the uh, rural municipality of Sherwood, a 44,000-square-foot cannabis production facility wow. just outside the city on Winnipeg Street near Inland Drive. It's going to be dubbed One Leaf Onyx, and they're going to be producing pot in the RM of Sherwood. You know, pot pot has just become boring. Pot, I'm actually, yeah, I'm so tired of talking <laughs> about pot every no, no, dang no, week. factories, and they're talking about, like, regulations and taxes. Yeah. There are the days when you could just, you know, when it was like some, some sketchy guy in his mid-20s would show up in your high school parking lot. Yeah, and his gremlin. Yeah, and his gremlin or whatever yeah. else. Yeah, th- thanks for dating us. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and... And, but now, now it's uh, now it's like dispensaries and 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 taxation schemes. Yeah, yeah. He's, so. Apparently, this company is going to be producing to begin with nine thousand pounds of cannabis every year, and then ramping that up to thirty-five thousand when they reach full like planned expansion. Pounds. pounds. Yeah, yeah. So. I guess just how high do they want people to be? <laughs> no, I, I, I jest. I jest. It's uh, that's that's actually pretty impressive that there's we're getting this sort of this as an industry yeah. in, in and around the city. I think the thing that I find that's a little bit curious is that this is happening in the rural municipality of Sherwood. Yes. Um, according to the uh, the Reeve there, Jeff Poisson. We we've we've spoken about <laughs> Jeff Poisson. We've spoken about yes, the, the, the political um, situation in Sherwood before. The arm of Sherwood apparently didn't have concerns about approving a cannabis production facility. Wow. Uh, it, it, this will be in the joint planning area with the city of Regina. Um, could, you, could you say that again? The joint planning <laughs> area. Okay, never mind. Keep going. I can't believe I didn't get that. <laughs> so, yeah. Some, it's almost will... like they had prepared for this. Oh, they had this in mind when they named it. Um yeah, a, a quote from uh, Mr. Poisson that was in uh, the CBC's coverage of this is uh, that this facility is a little bit different usage than what we're used to seeing in the RM, but we encourage all types of responsible development. Uh-huh. Now, I, interesting that in 2017, <laughs> a pot plant is now responsible development in the rural municipality of Sherwood, when in 20, well, I guess we're 2018, I forgot that. Um, within the same 12-month period, though, the rural municipality of Sherwood uh, felt it would be irresponsible to put in a mosque yes. in the rural That's, municipality yeah, that, of that, A mosque is irresponsible, but a yeah. gigantic cannabis production facility yeah. is a-okay. Yeah, that's not safe. The traffic concerns would be so problematic, but pot and traffic, they go along yeah, just exactly. fine. <laughs> so... Yeah, I do find the um, well, you know, we're it's a great, it's a crazy RM over there. It it's is a crazy uh, RM. Yeah, every, yes every, to pot, no to mosque. Every week, there's something interesting coming out of the RM of Sherwood. Yes, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's coming up, coming up yeah. soon. Uh, in the background of all of this, we have all the dispensaries in the YQR. Uh, there's 19 of them right now, and there's still a question about what the regulations will be for uh, marijuana when it's legal in July uh, for the city of Regina. But uh, I guess we'll we'll just have to wait and watch. But we do know there will be supply coming into the city very well for whoever needs it. All right. Okay. So that's out, that's it for outstanding improvements. And as outstanding improvements go, it was outstanding. It was very outstanding. It was. Yeah.
Uh, all right. Next up on the agenda, we have more guests. More. More. It's, did we just have a guest? We did. Now we have multiple guests. Now we have two guests. Just, oh, yeah. Cool. It's like they're. It's like they're multiplying. <laughs> Why don't you introduce our guests? Yeah, we have uh, Crystal. Oh God, Crystal. How do I pronounce <laughs> Call your name? Jack. Call it Jay Jack. Yeah. See okay. a blue Jay. Call him Jack. Uh, that is fantastic. <laughs> and uh, Lynn Tara. Or Thera. 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 Yeah. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Thanks, guys, for coming in. You're from the YWCA. I'm from the YWCA. You're from the YWCA. Yeah, yeah. And Crystal, you're from? I'm a citizen. Oh, cool. <laughs> on the steering committee. On the steering committee yes. that the YWCA is heading up. Okay. I did my homework on this one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, what are you guys here to talk about tonight? What is, what's coming up via the YWCA, this, your steering committee? So on Saturday, January 20th, uh, the YWCA will be hosting Women's March Canada in Regina. So this builds on the march that started last year in 2017, so the March on Washington, which gained global support. And now this year there's an anniversary march, so there'll be over 40 locations and communities in Canada that will be supporting it and throughout the world. Um, so they'll actually be trying to glo globally live stream the event. Um, so locations in China, in Kenya, in Mexico, in Ecuador, throughout the globe. So um, it'll be great for us to be able to see the global perspective and then to actually march locally together as well. Right. So what sort of attendance are you shooting for slash hoping for? Um, well, I think it's kind of exceeded what I was initially expecting. Uh, last year, we didn't have a, a Women's March Canada within Regina, so not too sure what the level of support would be. So right now, all we have to go by are people that claim they're going on Facebook and those that are interested. Uh, so we're at about the 300 mark for people that are committing to coming to the event and over 900 that are saying that they're interested. And we know that a positive forecast will help those 900 people <laughs> that are on the fence to encourage them to come out to march with us. Yeah, I think the temperatures are, as, as much as the political mm -hmm. and ideological moment, yes. the temperatures actually make a big difference with these kinds <laughs> of things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about last year's event? Like, how was the turnout for that? So globally or? No, just here. Um, there, there was a small group of people that did get together. I actually yeah. had yeah. Um, taken advantage of the opportunity to go to Washington with a Canadian delegation of, uh, of about 600 people, and we were on a bus to Washington, and so I took part in, in the Washington March. Did you wear the hat? I wore a red hat. Um, oh, okay. It was a Women's March Canada hat that had the, the logo on it, but the Canadians wore red and the Americans were wearing uh, Navy hats. Uh, so, so yeah, and, and got to participate in that, which was amazing. So, was that did that was it part of what gave you the impetus to bring this event here? Uh, yeah, it was because I, I went through that experience and thought it was amazing and a great way to be with like-minded people and to also raise awareness to a larger group of people that there are several issues that we need to. Um, I guess highlight and make sure people know that it still need to be resolved. 
So when I heard in early December that there was going to be an anniversary march, I'd reached out to the national organization to say, is anyone in Regina planning anything? And they said, we haven't heard anything yet. So I had sent out a a spam email to a large number of local organizations that represent women's uh, rights and issues. And it didn't take long before Melissa from the YWCA had then reached out and said we would uh, love to take part and help take the lead on this. And uh, shortly after Christmas, then we got together for our first steering committee meeting. And it's been a great experience with how many people are rallying together, not only on the committee, but even you can see the Regina community and spirit behind all the the baking that people are willing to bring for (laughs) the event after. So we can kind of continue the conversation after we come in from outside. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's great to see just the level of of willingness to participate and and to be a part of it. Hmm. in the United States, there's, um, I think there's an urgency around these issues because of the sort of political, the, the political reality in the White House in the United States. Um, uh, I guess w- one thing I'm curious about is, there's like, why bring this here locally? Mm-hmm. Um, but why was it important for you to go down to the states to participate in this? Uh, when sort of the, the 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 political reality is different here uh, than it is in the, is, is maybe less orange sure. and <laughs> pugnacious <laughs> than it is. Um, so so it's interesting. I think 2017 was a big awakening for a lot of people. Um, I. I could see how much influence the the U.S. politics and culture was having in Canada when you could see some of the hate crimes happening in the U.S. then spill over into Canada. And it was a bit of a reality check of, yeah, how fragile it is. So wanted to to get more involved and active to to learn more and be a part of it. Hmm. What did it mean to you? Like, what was the, what was, what were your feelings coming out of that event? Um... I guess to do even more Um, because you can see what's happening there and then again some of the spillover that's happening into Canada with um, how far we've come but yet how fragile some of those things are when there are the possibilities of some of those rights that so many women have fought so hard to get in the past uh, whether it's from the right to vote, reproductive rights, representation, access to healthcare, everything, and yet you can see how fragile and how easily they can be taken away. Mm -hmm. Um, And we still have a lot of work to do, right? When you look at uh, within Saskatchewan alone, knowing that we have the highest intimate uh, partner domestic violence rates in Canada, and our sexual assault rates are actually double that of the national average, it kind of puts things into perspective that there's there's issues at home that need to be addressed. And um, and rights are never just handed to people. <laughs> Unfortunately, they have to be fought for, and it shows the importance of those rights and the the need for them. And being a stronger and collective voice is how that happens. Um, so, I guess even from a personal side, just feeling a little bit more complacent, and um, it's not impacting me today. <laughs> so, so then, what's the big deal? But it's recognizing that until we all are able to have those same freedoms and rights and the same level of safety that we all need to be a part of that voice to make it happen. Well, I think just by way of example, I think uh, the, the rise of, of you know, neo-Nazi sentiment in the States is part of complacence because people have long forgotten 
just how awful mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Nazis are. Uh, so we so you get more of them. So I agree. It's it's important to keep to never be complacent and to keep fighting for these things. Yeah. So, uh, I'm also curious, uh, Lynn. Can you tell us a bit about the YWCA connection with all this? Yeah, I'm the um, um, I've, I'm the senior director of women of housing um, at the YWCA, but I also worked in a in the homeless shelter, um, my aunt's place, for a number of years. And so um, my our draw is that we work with women um, in, in at the YWCA, both domestic violence, homelessness, poverty. Um, we're working with Indigenous women, and um, that's important to us. And and putting a voice and giving a, a place and um, and an opening to talk about what we're seeing is is important for us and to. Um, be a voice of women and and men to be honest um, this is not just a, a women's issue it's it's a women's and men's issue and we'd like men to come to the to the walk on Saturday because it's all of our issues it's not just sexual assaults on women it's the patriarchy and the way men perceive masculinity that's also just as damaging for men as it is for women I also look at um, the amount of poverty and single single women that are are living uh, below the poverty line and the women that are homeless and they we need to start looking at what homelessness looks like for women which is very different uh, you mentioned I just want to back up a little bit sure. you mentioned my aunt's place and mm-hmm. I think some of our listeners might not know what that is my aunt's place is the only homeless shelter for women and children in Regina and um, it's you know 22 to 26 beds and uh, we serve I can't remember the numbers about 560 women and children but the problem is we we turn away double that we turned away you know 1,350 women and children last year here's hoping that things like housing first can help and we work very strongly with we have um, a rapid rehousing team ourselves and we work with housing first because women's poverty is different than than the poverty that uh, I think you would imagine Uh, we're on uh, 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We're the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and we're here talking about the Women's March on Saturday. Um, you, you mentioned Aiden. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned me. housing first. Uh, there's been a commitment this year, uh, for, or I guess it was last year now, uh, but late last year from the mayor that uh, the city's basically going to be taking issues of homelessness more seriously, and there's definitely been a push on the housing front. Um, you mentioned how housing issues are different for women and children because frequently they're coming with a family mm-hmm. into homelessness mm-hmm. and looking for supports. Do you see improvements on that front already? like, Or is that still something you guys are struggling with? I, I think there's improvements. I think the federal government has done an amazing job of giving us funding and the city is also have given us funding in the last and that's made a huge difference i think housing first is our first step to and the more we develop our housing first program the better it's going to be to to help women and children well and all people to not be homeless i think we were complacent for a really long time thinking it wasn't happening because we imagined homelessness looking a certain way we imagined somebody standing on the street corner that's not necessarily the way homelessness looks like and i I appreciate Mm -hmm. the fact the federal government and the city is now funding 
and helping us with that problem. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so what are you guys hoping to achieve on Saturday? Like, is this this group, the steering committee that you've put together, is this going to be an enduring concern for you guys beyond beyond Saturday, beyond this weekend? I hope so, that it's a, it's a way to start the conversation and get more people involved and more people aware and that it continues on. So even as a national organization, Women's March Canada, uh, over the last year has gone through the process of becoming a nonprofit organization. There's now a board of directors representing women from coast to coast, um, having some different types of events to raise awareness. So a lot of times they're, they're webinars so people can participate. And then you can see certain cities like Toronto taking a very active role and with some other partnering organizations. So uh, my hope is that this will just continue the conversation, bring more people into it, and to to raise more awareness of the, the great work that organizations like the YWCA, what they're doing, um, and all the other women's rights organizations within the city so that we're all able to go out and support their events as well. And one thing, uh, one thing that was mentioned here was the um, s- some of the stats that you mentioned, like l- you know, larger amounts of sexual assault, intimate uh, partner violence, and and Lindy mentioned homelessness. And when we're talking, especially in, in Saskatchewan and Regina, there's a you know the the word intersectionality mm-hmm. has to come up because we're dealing with indigenous populations yes. and whatnot. How 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 do you think that you'll face? Sort of the sort of like the legacies of colonialism with uh, with women's rights in, in this particular instance. Just anybody, any. I throw it out to the crowd. <laughs> Um, well, it, it's a great point because um, the, the intersectionality is where the stats become even more staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to quickly look at this one. So as an example, Indigenous women in Canada have rates of violence, including domestic violence, that are three and a half times higher than non-Indigenous women. So I think that's a great example of where um, there may be a different support mechanism in place for them, but it is kind of recognizing the differences when we start to look at um, where an individual's identity intersects between gender and race and religion and and their the belief system and then it it changes the support structure that's there to help them as well to understand what it's like um, what their experience is like so it's it's definitely a, a consideration and and that's why we've reached out to a number of the local groups and and hope that they're able to come out and show support and and again that 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 we're able to then reciprocate that for what they're trying to accomplish. Hmm. I, I also think it's a fundamental part of our, our march is is to have a space for all women, all people, to talk about the issues that are important. That what we want is women's rights to be human rights, right? right? Yeah. And and women's rights and and human rights also includes our Aboriginal populations that are struggling. Because I have I've noted in the past year, especially when we're looking at the Me Too movements and such, especially in the States, sometimes a critique that can land and land land harshly is that for many it's uh, it, it's it's white women. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not really sort of bringing in, they're not being as inclusive as they could be. And I think it's really important that we're inclusive here. So so let me tell you how it's no, uh, <laughs> As a white dude. <laughs> as a white man, yeah. I have no ideas. Um, I think the feminist movement yeah. has struggled with that oh, in yeah. the past, and yeah. I think that's the movement forward. And I think um, when we looked at the Women's March of last year, it was the, the steering committees were all 
groups of women from differing places, mm -hmm. differing views, differing voices. And I think that's fundamental to this to this march and to this movement is is the hearing voices from many different areas, right? Mm -hmm. Many different voices. And hopefully we'll get many, you know, many voices out there tomorrow or on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. What will things look like? Like, what do you what do you imagine things looking like on Saturday? What's the order of operations yeah. that people oh, yeah, will sure. encounter? Uh, so people can come by the the YWCA early if they'd like to make a poster that they would like to carry during the march, um, and then we'll we'll gather on the street because the street will be blocked off to be able to begin the march by ten fifteen, and then we have a route that's planned that will take us down Albert Street College. Uh, Broad Street, Victoria, and then back to the YWCA for post-March social. And there we'll have a number of the partner organizations that can share more information about the services that they have available uh, to to women and to be able to share in all the community baking that's been been brought to. And and again, hope the conversation continues and, and see what happens from there. Right. Um, Last week we had Angela Redekop on from, uh, she's organizing a thing called the Shift to Reason Conference. It's a uh, science conference that's going to this year have, when it's put together, have a focus on issues of intersectionality and who gets to speak and women's issues mm -hmm. uh, within the science community and the skeptic community. Uh, she mentioned that what, one of the things they've faced is some pushback online from people who were not happy that they were doing this. Have you guys faced any of the same kind of backlash for what you're trying to organize? Uh, no. Uh, nationally, a lot of the, the women who are organizing in the different communities have talked a little bit about online trolling. Uh, there is the possibility of counter-protests happening as well this year, given that, that last year was planned in such a short period of time. It, it took everybody more more time to get organized. Uh, so this year, uh, there is the possibility of that, but um, that's always what we have to be prepared for, right? And that is kind of tackling the, the issue head-on anyways, that there is going to be opposition, but it's finding that common ground that we can all agree on to then at least continue the conversation rather than being close to each perspective. Right. So typically people, though, have been supportive of what you guys are trying to accomplish. For the most part, yep. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. I think the trolls are still too busy complaining about Star Wars <laughs> so, to like, exactly. worry about anything else right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clever distraction Ryan Johnson <laughs> threw out there. Exactly. <laughs> Some chum for the trolls. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, where can people find information and, you know, commit themselves to coming online? Mm-hmm. So womensmarchcanada.com is the central site, and you can find information about the Regina event on there. We also have a Facebook event that has more specifics about the local event. So there is a, a logistics document that outlines the, the route, the all the hashtags and social media handles that you need to know if you want to share or participate in a different way. Um, and then as well on Twitter and on Instagram. So we'll have coverage and people sharing on each of those channels. We will attempt to do Facebook Live and attempt to participate in the global live streaming as well. So that's available for people who are either unable to attend or are, who are differently abled. And then as well, there is a group that started out the U.S. Uh, who last year started a disability march, and so they'll be hosting that again this year. So it's a way for people globally to be able to participate and to share their perspective and how as, as women that are differently abled are impacted as well. So another point of intersectionality to be able to highlight that and some of the, the challenges that they're facing. Awesome. Yeah. 
Thank you. So again, that's Saturday at 10 a.m. Yes. At the YWCA downtown. Um, how did they do? Uh, well, I, I graded them on my complicated rubric. And? You can see it here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yes, they 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 passed. They qualify passed, they, they as qualify improvement as vectors. Actual improvement vectors. Excellent. Um, and we have certificates. Now here's a th- there's this is this is a little more complicated than usual. Uh, first, uh, Lynn, you have oh, yours. Thank you. Uh, but with Crystal, we have uh, one that is normal, uh, <laughs> and one that was value added by I believe. A, a five-year-old boy? Seven. Seven-year-old boy. Oh, oh sorry. Right. I'm well, that's the one that I would want. Well, th- yeah. there you go. <laughs> you, you, can, you. you can have the other one as a backup, though. That's, uh, <laughs> okay, sure. I'll do that. There you go. Thank you so much. You're thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for coming in, you guys. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, uh, good luck with uh, Saturday's event. Thank mm-hmm. you. All right. We got a call for adjournment, dude. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I motion to adjourn. I second that motion. Oh, motion carried. You have been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. Your hosts have been Paul DeShen and Aidan Morgan. Thank you very much for all our guests tonight, Costa Maragos, Linthera, and Crystal College Ajak. That's right. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm so into this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Queen City IB, uh, also at cjtr.ca slash podcasts, or listen live. We're broadcasting Thursday evenings and rebroadcast on Monday mornings. Uh, what else? Oh, you can find us, rate us, review us on iTunes. We, uh, we need that so much. Uh, coming up next is the Nerdcore Cabaret with Maddie V, followed by the cockpit, and then at midnight, the melt. Keep on improving, Regina.